Hey there, everybody. Welcome to Line by Line. I'm Pastor Josh Hawkins. Uh, really glad to be with you. I mean, really, really glad. We're going to go to 2 Corinthians chapter 7 tonight. So let's pray and then we can get there. Father, I thank you for this beautiful evening. Lord, I pray that you'd be with us. Teach us from your word. Lord, I I, I, I come humbly before your uh the scriptures that you've given us as such a gift. And I ask you, Lord, as we sit under the scriptures, that the word of God, living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, would be moving on the inside of us. I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, let's go to the scripture. I'm kind of laughing because... I'm trying something different tonight, and this has not gone well the last couple times I tried it. So we'll see what happens. <laughs> Therefore, since we have these promises, dear friends, let us purify ourselves from everything that contaminates body and spirit. Perfecting holiness out of reverence for God. Make room for us in your hearts. We have wronged no one. We have corrupted no one. We have exploited no one. I do not say this to condemn you. I have said before that you have such a place in our hearts that we would live or die with you. I have spoken to you with great frankness. I take great pride in you. I am greatly encouraged in all our troubles. My joys know no bounds. For when we came into Macedonia, we had no rest, but we were harassed at every turn, conflicts on the outside, fears within. But God, who comforts the downcast, comforted us by the coming of Titus, and not only by his coming, but also by the comfort you had given him. He told us that about your longing for me, your deep sorrow, and your ardent concern for me, so that my joy was greater than ever. Even if I caused you sorrow by my letter, I do not regret it, though I did regret it. I see that my letter hurt you, but only for a little while. Yet now I am happy, not because you were made sorry, but because your sorrow led you to repentance. For you became sorrowful as God intended, and so were not harmed in any way by us. Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret, but worldly sorrow brings only death. See what this godly sorrow has produced in you, what earnestness, what eagerness to clear yourselves, what indignation, what alarm, what longing, what concern, what readiness to see justice done. At every point you have proved yourself to be innocent in this matter. So even though I wrote to you, it was neither on account of the one who did the wrong, nor on account of the injured party, but rather that before God you could see for yourselves how devoted to us you are. By all this, we are encouraged. 
In addition to our own encouragement, we were especially delighted to see how happy Titus was, because his spirit has been refreshed by all of you. I had boasted to him about you, and you have not embarrassed me. But just as everything we said to you was true, so our boasting about you to Titus has proved to be true as well. And his affection for you is all the greater <clears throat> when he remembers that you were all obedient, receiving him with fear and trembling. And I am glad I can have complete confidence in you. Amen. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. Uh, went better than I thought it would. So thank you, Jesus, for that. <laughs> oh, my goodness. So um, uh, we are uh, we, we spent the whole last chapter with Paul commending us not to be yoked with unbelievers, uh, that we should not join too closely together with people that don't belong to Christ, because they're, the things that they want and the ways that they want to be in the world don't fit with what Jesus has called us to do and who Jesus has called us to be. I have no idea what's going on. What was that? <laughs> I didn't do that. I don't know. <laughs> it was <good>. Sorry. <laughs> I don't know how that happened. Uh, is it this? Yeah. <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> I don't know what's going to happen tonight. This is going to be really fun. Let's find out. Um, <laughs> So, Paul spent that last chapter talking to us about how Christians and the world should be radically different. Um, and, and now he's going to turn back to the theme that he was in before, which is about reconciliation between him and the Corinthian church. You know, there's been this difficulty between the two of them uh, because he didn't come when they, when he, he wasn't able to come when they when he had originally said, because some people said some things to the Corinthian church about Paul that weren't true and that weren't kind. And, um, and, and there's been this kind of break in the relationship between Paul and the church at Corinth. And um, that was breaking his heart. And so he wrote the first letter to the Corinthians, or maybe another letter that we don't have. I think it was the first letter. I don't think there's a letter we don't have. Um, but um, he wrote the first letter to the Corinthian church out of that place of brokenness, out of this kind of, to, to speak to the ways in which their relationship ha uh, was starting to, to, to break apart. And, um, and so now he's back to that, to that theme. And we've come back to that over and over again, as we've studied uh, through this. Um, so verse two, make room for us in your hearts. We have wronged no one. We have corrupted no one. We have exploited no one. So he's refuting things that have been said about him, whether by people from outside the Corinthian church that came in and said things, or people inside the Corinthian church who had started to say things about Paul that weren't true. Ideas that they had begun to allow themselves to have about Paul that weren't real. Um, it's it's this happens all the time. Uh, it happens constantly in churches. This is why 
pastors often don't stay long in a specific church because people start talking, their mouths start working, and the enemy loves to do this. He loves to bring discord. He loves to bring, uh, to come in and to mess with people's heads and to and to, to to cause division. And we always have to be watching out for that. And there is there is a place. There is a place, and this is what this whole chapter is about. The, the most powerful way to defeat this thing that the enemy wants to do, where he splits us up, where he where he makes us uh, you know think things about each other that, that aren't true, where he begins to do, you know, his name means accuser. And when he begins to accuse the church to the church, or one member of the church to another member. Um, that's one of his favorite things to do, and he does it all the time. Be ready for it. It's going to happen where somebody's going to say something to you, or you're just going to have a thought pop up in your head about somebody else in the church, um, because that's how the enemy works. He gets us He gets us to, to hate one another. He gets us to, to fight against one another. He gets us to think badly about each other. And then we can't live in the unity that God has called us to live into. And our kingdom purpose is to be built together into a house for the Holy Spirit. That's our kingdom purpose. That's what we're called to do, to be built together as, into one temple of the Holy Spirit together. I've said together too many times now. but that's And that connection that we have with each other is how it happens in the upper room. Okay, after Jesus' resurrection and ascension, he says, go back to Jerusalem and await the coming of the Holy Spirit, of power from on high, he says. And, and it isn't until there's a 10-day 10, 10 window between Jesus' command to go back to Jerusalem and the disciples get, uh, and, and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. And that text in, the, in Acts says, they were all together in one accord, in, in unity with one another. And that is when the Holy Spirit comes. The Holy Spirit descends upon us and, is, and, the, and the presence of God dwells within us as we find connection with each other. It is this symbiosis. It's what the early church called koinonia, the togetherness, the fellowship. That is where the Holy Spirit is a is begins to work with real power and 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 do things that we have never thought that he could do. It's there. It's in the place of unity that that happens. And that's why unity is so important. And Paul talks about it constantly. This state of loving one another, this state of unity that we're called to is radically important. And it was the center, it was the heart. It was what made the early church different from the rest of the world. Jesus said it to us. He said, they will know you by your love for one another. This is the primary way that the world sees Jesus in us is when he sees us loving each other. And, <clears throat> and that's what we're going to be talking about the rest of this chapter. What does it look like when unity has been broken? How does it work for us to connect, reconnect with each other again? What does it require? Um, Paul is making the plea 
you know, let's let's do this. Let us move toward one another once again. Make room for us in your hearts, he says. So, um, and he starts by saying that those things that the enemy has has put in your hearts about us, they aren't true. We've loved you this whole time, and we want to continue to love you. Verse 3, I do not say this to condemn you. I have said before that you have such a place in our hearts that we would live or die with you. I have spoken to you with great frankness. I take great pride in you. I'm greatly encouraged in all our troubles. My joy knows no bounds. This isn't Paul buttering them up. This isn't them, oh, you're just so, you know, that Paul is trying to express to them the depth of his true fatherly affection for them. He deeply loves this people. He deeply loves these men and these women. And he and he is excited about them. He believes that God has done, and he has seen God do great things in this church. He knows as as he as he looks at what God has done there, he is ecstatic about what the Holy Spirit has been up to in their midst. He loves it. He loves it. And and his desire is is that they understand exactly how he feels about them. <clears throat> they have been told, and some of them have been convinced, that Paul doesn't care about them. That was that was seed number one that the enemy tried to sow in their hearts. Oh, because Paul wasn't able to come when he had told them he was coming. And the enemy used that opportunity to sow this idea in them that Paul didn't love them, that Paul didn't think much of them, that Paul didn't care about them. And Paul is saying that is the furthest thing from the truth. But it is easy, my friends. It is really easy to believe that people don't love us. In fact, we are so quick to believe that people don't love us. It happens so easily, so quickly for us. We're so we so we're so quick to to agree with the accusation of the enemy against our brothers and sisters in Christ. We're so quick to believe that people don't care about us. The minute that we see, you know, we're, we, we, we jump on right away with the idea that, oh, they don't love us. They don't care about us. When we, we hear that in people's voices, we see that in them. The enemy loves to take our insecurity and to stir it up, to pump up that flame of insecurity in us, to cause division. Because what it, he knows what we're going to do. We're going to separate ourselves from people. We're going to pull back from them. And when we pull back from them, uh, the enemy has won. Community's been lost. Uh, I can't tell you how many times, I mean, over and over and over again, that I've seen people withdraw from a body of believers, pull away from a church, pull away from a pastor, pull away from a community where they once found life because they came to believe one way or another that that community didn't care about them. And they may have had, you know, a real reason to believe that, but most of the time it's not a real reason. Most of the time it is, most of the time, it is an assumption that they have made because of something someone said or something someone did or something someone didn't do. Um, 
well, they didn't invite me to that thing. Oh, they, you know, um, uh, uh, they really were rude to me on a given day, et cetera, et cetera. And, and that's the first seed of the, that the enemy plants see. And, and we see that, we experience that. We don't give our brother or sister the benefit of the doubt. And we begin to let the accusation of the enemy live in our hearts. We don't stand up and say, no, Satan, I don't know what happened there. I'm going to go and talk to them. I'm going to go and make sure they're okay. I'm going to go and reconnect with them. We don't engage in honesty and love. We just immediately push back and push away. And I need to say something about this right now. Because it would be easy for me to be really insensitive in this moment and to totally miss the reality that some that some people are dealing with a level of of hurt and a level of woundedness that makes it almost impossible to push past a moment of misunderstanding and ask for reconciliation. I, I, re I realize that that's true. I realize that some, for some of you, uh, you've been so hurt in the past that all it takes is one little spark of that, or even just the smell of that same kind of hurt. And for your own sake, you have to push away. You have to, um, and man, that breaks my heart for you. And I want to encourage you to re-engage with the church. I want you, I, I, I want you to believe that safety is possible and that people can love you. But I also recognize that for some of you, you're just not, you're not healed enough to believe that. And, and I get that. But don't stay there. Enter into healing with Jesus first, and then he will lead you back to the body. He will. But I, I just didn't want to let those comments move by without recognizing the truth that for some people, you know, in certain that that knee jerk of pushing back is is a necessary reflex. Um, it's our job as the church to to watch for that and to pursue people uh, who who feel that way. Okay, um, but recognize, m just pay attention to when those red flags pop up. Pay attention. And ask the question, is this true? Is, are they really rejecting me? Are they really against me? Do they really not love me? Ask that question. Like, honestly ask it. Or is this the accusation of the enemy? And the only way you can really find out, the only way you can really find out is to go and to speak with him. Now, Paul 
You can do that through an intermediary. Uh, Paul sent Titus to carry the message because he couldn't go himself. So that wouldn't necessarily be a bad thing. You could do that. Um, but it's it, until you've had a chance, until the person who hurt you has a chance to talk about what they meant when they said X. Right? Do not assume that you know what they meant. Because that is just playing into the accusation of the enemy. Okay. He wants to take your insecurities and use them to keep you away from loving relationships that are going to lead you to Christ. That's one of his primary strategies. Don't play into his hands. All right. Verse 5. For when we came to Macedonia, we had no rest, but we were harassed at every turn. Conflicts on the outside, fears within, but God who comforts the downcast, hallelujah, comforted us by the coming of Titus, and not only by his coming, but also by the comfort you had given him. He told us about your longing for me, your deep sorrow, your ardent concern for me, so that my joy was greater than ever. Okay, so a quick reminder on the story, okay? The story from which this whole letter has been written. Paul had been in Corinth, and he had promised to come back. And he had gone uh, on another journey to another place. He had promised to come back. And his plan was to stop in Corinth before he went to Macedonia. Okay? That was the plan. His plan was to stop in Corinth before he went on to Macedonia. Um, and as he was about to go to Corinth, he got a letter from Corinth that was saying, Paul, lots of bad stuff is going on here. People are saying bad things about you. Things aren't quite the way that they should be. We haven't seen you yet. Where did you go? Et cetera, et cetera. Okay. In response to that, he sends Titus with the first letter to the Corinthian church. Okay. So that's Corinthians, 1 Corinthians, the, the first letter to. The, so in response to the information he got from Corinth, he sends Titus with, with a letter from him that is trying to deal with some of that stuff. And the plan was that when Paul was about to go down to Corinth, that Titus would come back and meet him, and that he and Titus would go back to Corinth together. Because then he would know, like, is he even welcome in Corinth or not? And he waited before he went to Corinth for Titus to come, and Titus never came. And the Holy Spirit led him to go ahead, skip his trip to Corinth, and go to Macedonia. Is this all? I hope this all makes sense. Okay, so he doesn't go to Corinth when he said he was going to. He just goes on to Macedonia. And when he gets to Macedonia, it's a terrible time. He has problem after problem after problem. He says, we had no rest. We were harassed at every turn. Conflicts on the outside, fears within. It was just a miserable time in Macedonia when he went. Uh, and in the middle of that miserable time, Titus comes back from Corinth to Macedonia and meets Paul there. 
in Macedonia and tells Paul, everything's good with the Corinthian church. Your letter came to them. They responded. Uh, they, 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 and they sent me to you um, to let you know that they long for you. They're deeply sorrowful about the, the rift that had happened in their, your relationship with them. They're really concerned about you and they want you to come. So, so that really encouraged Paul. So that's, that's the story. And I love this uh, for so many reasons. I, I love that Paul refers to God as the God who comforts the downcast. Haven't you, hasn't he been that for you? He has been that for me over and over again. When I'm in the depths of despair, as, as, as Anne of Green Gables would say it, uh, he, he, he finds me and he comforts me. And there's always, there's so many times there's been that person, that one that, 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 that showed up exactly when I needed them to, to speak a word of encouragement to me that I know that, you know, it wasn't, I don't believe in coincidence because God, God had them show up exactly when I needed them to. God had them bring me a word, the word I needed more than any other, right when I needed it. He has them come. He has them show up. There they are. Oh my goodness. Thank you, Jesus, for that encouragement. And I'm able to continue forward over and over again. So many times uh, God has met us there. And what we need to recognize and understand is that God will allow you to go into a, a difficult season. Because sometimes that's exactly where we need to go. Uh, you know, the 23rd Psalm, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I, I love the 23rd Psalm. I pray it every day. And, and um, one of the things that it says, that it says, you lead me on paths of righteousness for your namesake. And the very next line is, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you're with me. Sometimes the path of righteousness leads through the valley of the shadow of death. Sometimes the journey that we need to go on, the path of righteousness, walks right through the valley of the shadow of death. Uh, that's a part of this journey. But the beautiful thing is that even when we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, he is with us. And he is faithful to encourage us. His rod and his staff, they comfort us, right? He's faithful to encourage us. And so often it is a blessed brother or sister who shows up on that day with a word of encouragement, who shows up at exactly the right moment because God is the God who comforts the downcast. I cannot tell you how many times. I cannot tell you how many times I have been having the worst day. Uh, terrible, no, terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. That was a book I used to read when I was when I was a kid. My mom would read to me. Um, Alexander and the Terrible, Horrible, No Good, Very Bad Day. I have had those days. Uh, I, I'm sure that you have too. And so often in the middle of a day like that, a messenger from God shows up. And of course, I've you know I've never seen um, like an, an, a, 
an angel. I've had dreams with angels, but like I've never had like a Marian moment, you know, hail Josh, you know, you're highly <laughs> That's never happened. Boy, I, Lord, whenever you're ready, I will do that. Uh, yes, please. Ready? Fireworks? Yeah. Okay. So <laughs> I'm ready for that. Uh, of <laughs> it's my little, my new little toy that <laughs> I'm ready for that day. Excuse me. Whenever God wants to bring, <laughs> give me that moment. But most of the time, the person who shows up exactly when I needs them, need them, is just another brother or sister in Christ. Someone that I love, someone that loves me, and they show up um, with a word of encouragement. Sometimes God spoke to them in a time of prayer or or just spoke to them and said, hey, I just, God wanted me to encourage you. But sometimes, not at all. Sometimes it's just, they just happen to see me and and say something. And, and But I still receive that as as a gift from the Father because he knew where I was and he knew what I was walking through and he sent that person at exactly that time. And it is okay for you to ask for that. I ask for it. If I'm in that place or if I'm uncertain or if I'm worried, I'm like, Lord, speak to me. So, you know, have, have a messenger. Uh, the last time and I, and I think this is right. The last time I was in the depths of despair, the last time I was experiencing a moment like this, I began to ask, Lord, I need a messenger. I need to know that I'm hearing you right on this. And uh, within 48 hours, I got two or three prophetic words from people that spoke directly to what I had been asking about. Um, I didn't tell anyone that I needed those words except for God. It was only in the place of prayer that I said, Father, here I am. I need you to tell me that I'm doing the right thing, um, uh, or you know, or tell me if I if I need to change directions. And 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 He came through and spoke so clearly and powerfully to me. Um, and I have come to rely on the Lord doing that when I need Him to do that, um, because He always has. And so, ask Him for that kind of word. Uh, ask him for word of for a word of encouragement. Ask him uh, for words of direction, etc. Uh, he is a faithful, faithful, wonderful leader, and he knows what you need when you need it. Trust him to send that person. And I want to encourage you, young uh, men and women out there. I, I I want to encourage you to be a person who carries a word of encouragement. Be a person. That, it, that encourages other people, that says to people, you know, I, I just think you're awesome. You know, I think uh, um, uh, just say something nice. Say <laughs> Notice things about people uh, and tell them, tell them, bring a word of encouragement because you might be the messenger uh, that they need in the moment that they need it. You might be the Titus that comes at the moment when, when it, it it's needed the most that that you have the opportunity to be that person. So take it, tell people you love them, tell them you're concerned for them. It may be the only light that they get in a dark place. Speak kindly to people, speak words of encouragement. I love this word encouragement. It's an, um, it's an, 
obviously an English word, but it comes from the French. It's an English word which has uh, which has French origins. I don't know if you know much about the English language, but it is this hodgepodge mix of about seven different languages, <laughs> um, the, all kind of mashed together, and that's that's the English language. Uh, and this word, encouragement, it comes from the French, and it literally means to give someone their heart back. To give them their heart back. And some there's somebody out there who needs their heart back. And you might be the one God has chosen to give it to them. You know, they've lost heart and they need it back. And you may be the one God has chosen in this moment, in this hour, at this time, to give someone their heart back. When you feel that when you notice something good about someone, tell them. When you when you see someone that's 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 upset, speak words of life and encouragement to them. Be a messenger of the love of God to them. They will thank you. All right, let's go to verse 8. So, now Paul is going to talk about the letter that he sent because he realizes he spoke fairly sternly in the letter. If you read 1 Corinthians, you'll see he has some word, real words of correction uh, for, the, for, for the church at Corinth. And he says, even if I caused sorrow by my letter, I do not regret it, though I did regret it. I see that my letter hurt you, but only for a little while. Yet now I am happy, not because you were made sorry, but because your sorrow led you to repentance. One of the most, it's really hard to have uncomfortable conversations with people. It's really difficult to say things to people that you know they don't want to hear. <laughs> That's really hard. But a part of being the body of Christ, a part of loving someone, is being willing to have hard conversations with them when it's time. As a pastor, I used to tell people, that I, I get paid to have difficult conversations. I used to tell people that. And it's and, and that's partially true. Um, as a pastor, I've had to have many very difficult conversations with people. Conversations I didn't want to have. I mean, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't want to have to tell someone um something they didn't want to hear. I I, I hate doing that. I didn't want to. I never want to be the one who's calling someone else on the carpet. Hey, uh, what you did was inappropriate, or, or, um, you know, a, 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 or to even bring a word of correction from the Lord for someone. Man, that's it's really hard. It's hard to preach a sermon from the pulpit that you know people don't want to hear. I, I'm, I love 
preaching an encouraging sermon where I'm going to talk about the how much Jesus loves you and 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 how good he is and and how how many beautiful amazing things he has for you I, those are great sermons to preach but sometimes i'm called to preach a sermon that says you're not where you should be and the lord's calling you out of that place and into something new and that's hard to do and it's even harder to have a conversation one-on-one -on -one with someone that causes them pain, right? That, that points out that what they did wasn't okay. I remember... Well, I'm not going to go there. I mean, I've I've had to do it many times, and it's always difficult. But can I also say this? It's radically important. And it's it's radically important that we have the conversation, and it's radically important that we have it the right way. Sometimes we're going to have to say things to people that are going to bring them sorrow. But if that conversation leads them to repentance out of destructive behavior and into life-giving behavior, then it's beautiful. But you have to have the courage to have the conversation. You have to have the courage to talk to someone who's hurt your feelings. That's not easy to do. And again, I don't want to discount that there are certain relationships where it is not safe to talk to someone about how they hurt your feelings or about how what they did to you was wrong. And I'm not talking about that. But in an otherwise healthy relationship, especially in a church setting, those kind of relationships need to be allowed. Those kind of conversations need to be allowed. We need to be able to say to one another, you hurt. That hurt my feelings, what you said. Hurt my feelings. And I, I want our relationship to be fixed. Okay, so so here's here's... Having these conversations, courageous conversations, is radically important, but they have to happen in the right way. Um, Paul did not regret causing them sorrow because their sorrow led to change, to repentance. So he was okay with he was okay with a difficult conversation because of the outcome. Um. But if we're just saying something to give them a piece of our mind, that's not loving. If we're just saying something because we feel they deserve it, 
then we're speaking out of anger and not out of love. If our goal is reconciliation, if our goal is growth, if our goal is not, you hurt me, so I'm going to hurt you back. I'm angry, so I'm going to say something to you. You know, I'm going to say something to you to make you feel the way I feel. That's not loving, and that's not Christ-like, and that's not going to lead to reconciliation, and it's not going to lead to repentance. That's going to escalate the conflict, and the enemy is going to love it. But when we are able, when we have processed our own emotions, and we're able to come back, and we're able to say to someone, hey, you and I had this conversation, or, or you, you know, this thing happened, And it, and it was painful for me. Or I have seen this pattern in your life and it worries me. I, I'm, I'm seeing this thing that's going on in your life and I'm worried that this thing is, that, that it's bad for you and, and I, I want better for you. <clears throat> if we're ever coming out of a sense of, I'm better than you or out of a place of like of of righteous indignation. No, I just don't think it's it's probably not your job to have that conversation. I remember years ago uh went to a a prophetic conference and and they they set this rule at their church that uh that words of correction, okay? So if the a word of correction from the Lord all over the scriptures, by the way, God gives words of correction. That's one of the things a prophet is supposed to do. But in this church, and I loved this, they said, you're only allowed to bring a word of correction if you have skin in the game. If it hurts you to, talk, to, to say this to them, if you have the kind of relationship with them that they will hear what you have come to say. This is why Jesus said, you know, don't throw your pearls with four swine. Listen, and and by the way, this is what's wrong with almost every Facebook confrontation you've ever seen. Uh, because when we come in the spirit of, I know better than you and you're such an idiot, it's never going to be received. Nobody's ever going to hear what you say. Nobody's ever going to hear it. I have just stopped having those conversations online, period. I don't respond to people that try and bait me into that kind of conversation at all. Um, I don't think good comes out of any of those conversations. <laughs> I just don't. A face-to-face, man-to-man, woman-to-woman conversation where we can look each other in the eye and where we can really talk and be honest and be vulnerable much salvation can happen in that space. Much, much, much salvation can happen in that space. That's what Paul says. He says, you know, you're saving them. We often avoid difficult conversations, but when they come from a place of love and of genuine desire to move towards something better, I can't tell you how powerful those kind of conversations have been. Now, I want to warn you. 
Sometimes when we come in the right spirit and we have the right conversation, people will wholesale reject what you said and reject you. That is possible. Even when you're doing everything right. Even when your heart's in the right place. People may not be able to receive what you bring. I understand that. Um, that's why you need to do a lot of praying. And in the past, when I have known that a difficult conversation is coming up, I will have people pray for me while that conversation is going on because the grace of God needs to be attended in that moment. Um, but even then, people might reject what you have to say, and that needs to be allowed. They need to be allowed to say, I'm not going to hear what you have to say. And in that moment, if that happens, don't respond with anger. Don't respond with, well, then, you know, you're, I, I guess you're no, you're going to go to hell because you don't know. No, oh, come on, please. No, be a grown up. Sit back and say, okay, but I, I needed to say it. I still love you. I still care about you. But I, And that's why I said what I said. But if you can't receive it, then you can't receive it. And move on. That's what love does. Love lets people respond the way they respond. It doesn't demand its own rights. It doesn't say, it doesn't say no, you have to listen to me. No. No. And then you get to decide with between you and the Lord what that means for your relationship with that person in the future. But don't respond from a place of brokenness and anger. There was something else I wanted to say. Uh, well, we're running out of time, so I'll just keep going. Continuing on in verse 9. For you became sorrowful as God intended, and so were not harmed in any way by us. Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. But worldly sorrow brings death. Listen to that, because that's what we're talking about. Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation. I've said this over and over again. Salvation is not a one-time thing. Salvation is a process into which we enter. And you can leave the process. You can. Salvation is a process into which we enter that where Jesus is transforming us into his image. And that's, okay? And repentance leads to salvation, and repentance needs to happen just about every day for you and I. And there will be no regret at the end of that. But worldly sorrow brings death. So if I'm just coming to beat you up so that you feel the pain I feel, that's bringing death for you and for them. Verse 11. See what this godly sorrow has produced in you. And now I love this little thing, this little rant that Paul goes on. It's not a rant, but this little like, what earnestness, what eagerness to clear yourselves, what indignation, what alarm, what longing, what concern, what readiness to see justice done. At every point, you have proved yourself innocent. I, I, I love this kind of list. We're not going to go through each word. I don't have time. Um, but the power, of, the power of a difficult conversation had in love is that it calls both parties into a place of repentance. It refines and heightens our love for each other. 
I cannot tell you. I mean, I mean, I I have four conversations in my head right now that I've had over the years that have that have we have left that difficult conversation loving each other more than we did before. I've had people that were very adversarial towards me. Like they did not like me. And one difficult conversation shifted the whole way that that relationship was going to go. But I tell you right now, if the difficult relationship doesn't happen, the relationship, your relationship with that, if the difficult conversation doesn't happen, your relationship with them will come to an end. That's the truth. Eventually, may not, maybe not right away, but eventually it's going to come to an end. Have the difficult conversation. Because it will refine and heighten your love for each other. And most importantly, well, maybe not most importantly, but very this part's very important. Having loving, difficult conversations takes the weapon out of the enemy's hand. Because once you've had a loving, difficult conversation with someone, the accusation of the enemy gets thrown to the side. And trust me, you want to disarm the enemy. Having loving, difficult conversations takes the enemy, takes having loving, difficult conversation takes weapons out of the enemy's hand. When we love each other enough to listen to each other, the enemy loses his ability to get in between us and cause problems. Verse 12. So even though I wrote to you, it was neither on account of the one who did the wrong, nor on account of the injured party, but rather that before God, you could see for yourselves how devoted to us you are. By all this, we are encouraged. I got to bring this. Loving conversations can never be about blame. Blame is a tool of the enemy, and loving conversations can never be about blame or what you owe me. That's not a loving conversation. It's never about being proved right. Well, I need... I, I, you know, you just need to admit that you were wrong. No, that's not what a loving conversation is for. It's about the relationship. And Paul says, I didn't write to you on account of the one who did wrong or account of the, of the victim. I wrote to you to remind you that you love each other. I wrote to you to remind you that I love you and you love me. And I'm more interested in this relationship than I am in being proved right or wrong, than I am about pointing the finger of blame. I'm more interested in this relationship than I am in about getting what I deserve. I just, I want to preserve and grow our relationship with each other. And he said, by this, we are encouraged. Amen. Amen. I love you more than this thing that we're fighting about. 
In addition, okay, so uh, continuing in verse 13, in addition to our own encouragement, we were especially delighted to see how happy Titus was because his spirit has been refreshed by all of you. I had boasted to him about you and you have not embarrassed me, but just as everything we said to you was true, so our boasting about you to Titus has proved to be true as well. And this affection for you is all the greater when he remembers that you were all obedient, receiving him with fear and trembling. I am glad I can have complete confidence in you. So not only does not only does difficult relationships diff, I keep doing that. Not only do difficult conversations <laughs> encourage the people in that relationship, but it encourages people outside of that relationship. Jesus said that we would be known by our love for one another. And it is these kinds of situations that shine true love out to the world, that show the world what a real loving conversation can look like. A true relationship of love can only be had, I think, by people who have been forgiven by Jesus and therefore we know how to forgive each other. And when that happens, the whole world stands back and says, that is something we don't have. I always think about there was a shooting in an Amish schoolhouse years ago. I don't remember where it was. And the Amish community came out publicly and said, we forgive this man. We forgive him. They didn't say, we want justice for our children and justice for these women. No, they said, we forgive him. And the whole world shook its head. What? He shot, he killed your children. He injured your children. And here you are saying you forgive him? And they said, yes, Jesus forgave us, so we have to forgive him, and we do. In fact, I heard later that they collected money to help this man's family. That's the kind of love that makes the world stand back and say something real is going on there. And when two people who are at odds with each other have a loving relationship with have a loving conversation with one another that restores their relationship, the world will stand in awe because only the power of Jesus can do that. Amen? Amen. Well, that's the end of chapter 7. So let's pray, and then we will uh, wrap up. Heavenly Father, we need your help. Lord, we need courage to have conversations like this. Lord, we need wisdom in how we have these conversations. Lord, we need, we just need you. We need you. We need you. We need you. We need your grace to be present in these moments of tension and difficulty. Lord, we need your wisdom and your discernment to see when the enemy is bringing accusations so that we can untangle ourselves from the power of the enemy's lies. Lord, show us what it looks like to love each other well. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you, my dear friends. I love you. Have a great, great week.